0: Well, Cedar Street Baptist Church, again, I love you very, very much. It's the joy of my heart to be with you here this morning. And as we gather this morning in worship and open up God's Word, we are back in 1 Peter, as we are now in our fourth week in a sermon series entitled, Set Apart. Set Apart. So what do I mean when I say set apart? Well, for a few weeks now we've been saying that as believers in Jesus Christ, in this letter in 1 Peter, the Apostle says that we are supposed to look and sound and act and be different than those that don't have the Spirit of God living inside of them. We're going to be set apart in our salvation, our holiness, our suffering, our hope, our values, our priorities, and our perseverance in the faith. There's something about us that must be set apart if, in fact, we have God living inside of us and those that are not Christian do not. And so today, as we've, so far in the sermon series, we've looked to the future to say that we've had a a joy and future hope in our salvation. We've looked at the present. Last week we talked about trials in our faith. Today we're going to look back. Today we're going to look back at all that took place for us to have the salvation that God freely offers to us at this very moment. And you know, as I began to think about this, an illustration came to mind. And so here's the illustration that I want you to think about as we walk through the message here. Perhaps you've heard of a company named Amazon, all right? I'm seeing the smile of young children who know it every bit as well as the parents. Amazon is a phenomenon, all right? The things that Amazon can do today blow my mind. They absolutely blow my mind. But recently, I had a chance to watch a, a documentary on all that happens when you click the buy button. How many people at Amazon are frantically running all over the warehouse, getting things in order, getting it packaged, getting it to the mail, and then, of course, whoever it's FedEx or UPS or, or whoever it is that's, that's delivering the package. If it's UPS, Thomas Clyde's making sure it gets to our doorstep as fast as possible. And then we forget before we could even order, Dustin Durden had to make sure that we had good internet, all right, and we had to have a good computer, and we had to have products that were properly marketed. And we had to have uh, a web designer and web people at Amazon to make sure their, their website is still up and running. And so all you do is click the send button, wake up two days after you click the send button and see a beautiful package sitting at your porch when there are hundreds and hundreds of people that have made that possible. And what do we do? We walk outside, we yawn. yawn. We look and our first thing we think of is, well, the male lady put that in the wrong place again. (laughs) We are a spoiled generation. But guess what? When it comes to our salvation, it's the same way. As we sit here today in God's house, and as I prepare to proclaim God's truth to you, it is unbelievable to think back to all that God did in His sovereign plan to make it possible for you to hear and respond to His good news today. And so today we're going to look back before we look forward. We're going to look at all that God has done to know what God is doing and what God will do for those that give their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. So what's the big idea? What do I want us to know in one sentence as we walk into 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12? Here it is. We are set apart by a salvation that reached our soul through many sacrificial servants. We are set apart by a salvation that reached our soul through many sacrificial servants. And again, the, the title of the message here this morning, Before Salvation Reached Your Soul. Before Salvation Reached Your Soul. So if you want to know all that God has done for salvation to come to you today, join me in the book of 1 Peter. All right, Right at the, towards the end of the New Testament, right after the book of James, right before 2 Peter. All right, if you don't have a Bible, please grab the pew Bible in in front of you on page 1203 in your pew Bible. And if you would stand at this time. Out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant, and fully sufficient word. We are in the book of 1 Peter. We're going to read verses 10 through 12. Hear God's word to us, starting in verse 10. It says, Concerning this salvation... into which angels long to look. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, again we love you, and we thank you and praise you for the day that you have made. And Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what your word reveals here this morning that in your sovereign plan there are so many things that happen and so many people that have sacrificed for us to have the opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel today. Help us to look back before we look forward. Father, be with us now and let us see the working sovereignty of your plan that we may appreciate and respond gratefully in repentance and faith. It's in Jesus' name I pray and God's people said, Amen. Again, the Apostle Peter, uh, when I began kind of studying this book, preparing to preach a sermon series, a lot of the commentators would say, hey, don't try to follow his line of thinking. He's all over the map, and he is. A couple of weeks ago, he's talking about the future hope. Last week, he was talking about present trials. Now, he's talking about past sacrifices, past, present, future. He's covering the gospel from every single angle. And so again, today, to look forward, we have to stop and look back, and that's what we're going to do. So what I want to do very quickly, moving through the text, I want to look at five different servants who played a role in bringing salvation to your soul. And here's the first. Before salvation reached your soul, prophets sacrificed for it prophets sacrificed for it listen to verse 10 and then I'm going to skip and show you the first part of verse 12 verse 10 says concerning this salvation the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully and then the first part of verse 12 says it was revealed to them meaning the prophets that they were serving not themselves but you so what prophets is Peter talking about? Well, prominently, he's talking about the prophets of the Old Testament, the ones that were prophesying about a coming Messiah. All of this started in the book of Genesis chapter three, verse 15, where there's a promise that one day the seed of a woman would come and crush the head of Satan and make a way from death to life. And so every single passage after Genesis 3:15, we're hearing that somebody's coming. And the prophets are proclaiming it throughout the entire Old Testament. And they're speaking to crowds like I'm speaking to you today. And they're addressing current issues. Okay, they were addressing the people of their time. There's a historical context in every passage. But they also knew they were not serving just you uh, or just the people of the day. They were serving us because they were serving the future. Their, their message was being preserved because it was pointing towards a future Messiah. Messiah. So the first thing it says here is that the prophets who prophesied about the grace to be yours searched and inquired carefully. It means when they were proclaiming the message, after they were proclaiming, they would search and pray and inquire and think and wonder, what is this that I'm prophesying? Who is this that is supposed to come? Even the prophets themselves wanted to know as the Spirit of God was inspiring them to tell the people. And again, they knew They were not just serving the people of the day. They were serving God's people for all of eternity. They were serving God's people for all of eternity. If you need any proof of that, you have an Old Testament. Now, I want you to think about this. The prophets in the Old Testament were speaking mostly to an oral culture, but we have it written down. God made sure for you to hear the plan of salvation today, not only did he inspire the prophets to proclaim it, he also inspired them to write it down. And they wrote it down and preserved it for us to hear it today in an air-conditioned sanctuary thousands of years after it was first proclaimed that we could hear the good news and be saved and that the the Messiah they were waiting for, we know him by name because he has come once and he's coming again. That's the salvation that we have. And number one, the prophets sacrificed for it. But let's look number two, and this is the most important point. Christ suffered for it. Verse 11 says, Inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ, that means the Holy Spirit, in them, meaning the prophets, was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus, and he made that salvation possible through suffering. Remember, we said last week that we can't avoid trials, that we're going to suffer on this side of heaven. And in that, we join our Savior who suffered for us. Now, we suffer because we're in a sinful world and we ourselves commit sin, but not Jesus. He suffered for our sins and not His. All right, how do I know this? Well, remember we said a few moments ago the prophets prophesied in a way that would benefit us? Well, the Mount Everest of Old Testament prophecy when it comes to the suffering of Jesus is Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. I want to read these words to you, and I want you to think about this for a second. As I read these words, as soon as I start reading them, you're going to say, of course, that's Jesus. But Isaiah is prophesying these words thousands of years before they even knew his name. Listen to this. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. That means Jesus came as a, as a man in plain view. There was nothing spectacular about his beauty. He was a, He was a man. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Perhaps you've said the words, Well, I know that the gospel is Jesus Christ dying for my sins. When I was a youth pastor, I would ask them every week, What's the gospel? What's the gospel? What's the gospel? And they'd say, Good news. And I'd say, The good news of what? And they'd say, The good news of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins. They knew it here. But let's take some time to make sure it's here. I want you to stop and listen to these words written thousands of years before he fulfilled this prophecy. All right, he was pierced for our transgressions. Doesn't that sound like crucifixion? Nails pierced his wrists and they pierced his feet. He was crushed for our iniquities. All right, when he was hanging on the cross, he was, he was being actually crushed with suffocation. All right, his, his lungs were caving in. That's what crucifixion was. It was less about the, the bleeding to death, although that was possible. It was the suffocation that he experienced on the cross. All right, and the chastisement that brought us peace, the, the soldiers that are chastising Him and, and drawing lots for His clothing and, and putting a crown of thorns on His head. And by His wounds, we are healed. You have no chance at standing before a holy God when you die if your sins are not punished and forgiven. And either you're going to be punished for your sins Or Jesus is going to be punished for your sins. And you have the chance today to ask Jesus Christ to be your Lord and God. And you will have put those sins on His shoulders and not carried them yourself. That's what He wants. And it's an offer that won't last forever. But it also says that this suffering leads to glory. There's so many passages I could read, but I want to go to the end of the book, the book of Revelation. When we see Jesus at the very end It will be the very beginning of a whole new life of glory. Revelation 5, 9 through 12 says this, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to your God, and they shall reign on the earth Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands singing with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. I hope you know that Christ is worthy of glory because if you're a Christian, you're going to spend all of eternity telling him how worthy he is to be glorified. Because he suffered for you so that you could live and worship him. So the salvation that's reached your soul today, the prophet sacrificed for it. Christ suffered for it. Number three, preachers spoke for it like the one that you're staring at right now. All right, it says the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you. Here's the deal with preaching and maybe you think I'm biased because this is my vocation. Preaching has always been and will always be God's plan to build His church. Always. The Bible will not be rewritten. And trust me when I say there are plenty of churches that would love to build the kingdom without preaching the Word of God. And the reason why is I'm very aware of this, that when I preach the Word of God, it can be offensive because we're sinful and we don't want to hear that we're sinful And so there are many churches that say, if I want to draw people and I want to build a crowd, I'm not going to preach truth. I'm going to do what they want so that I'll continue to draw them back week after week. Trust me, churches have tried everything. All right, there was something that came out in the last 20 years called the emergent church movement. There are some churches that gather on Sundays and they have a lot of couches within the church and they gather in groups and have discussion and they go home. There is no proclamation of the truth. And they're trying to build God's kingdom their own way. I don't know why God chose for a pastor or, or a preacher to speak and for people to respond and for us to worship together. But here's what I do know. It is His will. And it will always be His will. This is how God builds His church. And I didn't say it. Paul did in Romans chapter 10, verse 14 through 15. He said, How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now, I'm not saying I've got beautiful feet. My wife would not say I have beautiful feet. But God does. God says, how beautiful are the feet of those who go and proclaim the truth. And proclaim the truth with a desire for people to come to salvation. You know, every pastor battles this. You know, when you're with a loving congregation like Cedar Street, you get a lot of encouragement and affirmation after a sermon. And trust me when I say, each of you that encourage me, it blesses my soul. But they say that praise should be like perfume. You ought to sniff it but not swallow it. And there's a lot of pastors in the world that are swallowing it. And they'll do whatever it takes to get more of that praise. And so what they stop doing is preaching the gospel. And what they start doing is preaching prosperity. Telling people what they want to hear. But salvation did not reach your soul today by hearing what you wanted to hear, but by hearing what you must hear. That you must repent of your sins and place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And I want you to think about this. How many times did you hear the gospel before you got saved? Stop and think. All right, for those of you that grew up in the Billy Graham generation, how many crusades did you hear on the radio or television? How many times did a pastor preach? How many revivals did you go to? How many vacation Bible schools were you a part of where gospel seed after gospel seed after gospel seed after gospel seed was planted, and then one day... And it may have been a random day. It may have been a random moment. I've heard of people driving on the road and they hear a preacher on the radio and pull the car over on the side of the road or a moment when somebody wakes up in the middle of the night and a, a sermon that was preached years ago comes to their mind. But all of a sudden, in a moment, salvation comes. All the seeds that have been planted and salvation comes because preachers spoke it and were faithful to speak it. You know, one of the greatest compliments I ever received, and I just give God all the glory for this, I was driving to uh, our deacon conference and I was in the, in the van with Ronnie Sykes and, and Ronald Cardell and Larry Sykes and Eddie Jones and Dave and, and we were all driving up to the conference and uh, Ronald and Ronnie and Eddie were doing impersonations of every pastor that's ever come through Cedar Street Baptist Church. All right, I've learned a lot about this church prior to my coming here in 2010. I mean, every pastor's got their own personality. I guess it was Mark Sellers that would say, well, you know, that reminds me. Or it was a Frankie Hodges that would have his Bible out and all of a sudden be jotting things down at the last second. Or the evangelistic zeal of Jim Wilson. Or the pastoral heart of James Hartley all the great men that God has led to build this church, all of them different. And so I waited at the very end. I said, all right, Brother Ronnie, hit me with it. What what do I do? And I don't know if he was just trying to make me feel good because I'm sure behind my back there are other people that love to do impersonations of the pastor. I still think Abigail Durden does it better than anybody else. Uh, But he said, Bo, if there's one thing I know about you is I will not leave a message without hearing a clear presentation of the gospel. And may it ever be so. Because every one of us is in a different place right now, and some of you, right now, maybe the day of salvation. I wake up saying, is today the day that somebody's gonna give their life to Jesus? And for those of you who are saved, you need the gospel as much as you did the day that you were. It's a message you don't outgrow. You need Jesus to live for you the way that you cannot live in your own strength today, the way that you did when you were saved. So preachers must proclaim this. And if you are in this room today I'm not the first preacher probably that you've ever heard. There have been many men who've invested in you and poured out their hearts to you and shared God's news with you over and over and over again. So before salvation reached your soul, prophets sacrificed for it, Christ suffered for it, preachers spoke for it, now number four, the Spirit was sent for it. Listen to a later part of verse 12. It says, The things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you, the preachers, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. If you believe in Jesus Christ, trust me, the Spirit did something inside of you before you ever responded because salvation comes from the Lord. It's a gift from God. So let me talk about everything the Holy Spirit has done before you could even come to church today and hear what I'm saying. The first thing the Holy Spirit did was He inspired the Scriptures. You have a Bible in your hand or in your pew because the Holy Spirit worked. The Holy Spirit worked. 2 Peter 1, 20-21 says this, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, how many of you have relatives, friends, neighbors who don't believe the Bible? I do. And I bet you do. And in a room this size, there's at least someone in this room that does not believe in the Bible. And I'm not here to condemn you because until I was 27 years old, I did not believe the Bible either. But it all comes down to this. You read that passage and you say it's either true or it's not. It's either from God or it's not. When Peter says men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, that is either a true statement or it's a false statement. And if it's a true statement, this all comes from the mouth of God. And if it's a false statement, this is the opinions of man. But I'm putting all my eggs in the Holy Spirit basket. I believe that this comes from God. But I don't have a blind faith, and neither do you. How do we know it comes from God? Because of what it does in our lives when it's proclaimed. Here's the deal. Not only does the Holy Spirit inspire the Scriptures, the Holy Spirit anoints the speakers. Jesus Himself, when He was in the flesh here on earth, in Luke 4.18 said, "...the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed." So the Spirit inspires, the Spirit anoints, and for us, He regenerates. He changes our hearts. In the book of Ezekiel 36, 26-27, it says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules." If you're a Christian, there was a time in a moment that you probably did not recognize where God reached into your soul and He pulled out stone. And what He put back in was a beating heart of flesh. So that the things that you used to hate, you now love. And the things that you used to love, you now hate. Because you want what God wants and you do not want what God doesn't want. It doesn't mean we're perfect. But now, as under the guidance and the power of the Holy Spirit, we're convicted to want what God wants. And why? Because finally, the Holy Spirit also sanctifies believers. He cleanses us, He changes us, He makes us more like His Son every day. Titus chapter 3, verse 5 through 6 says this He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. The next time you read the Old Testament and you see the nation of Israel fall into sin again and again and again and again, you're like, when are they going to get this right? God says, obey me and I'll bless you. Disobey me and I'll curse you. Sounds pretty simple. Let's just obey him. The next time you want to stick your nose up at Israel and say, how could you worship a golden calf when you saw God split the Red Sea? If I had seen that with my own eyes, I would be obeying God every waking moment. Well, guess what? We have something they didn't. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We have less of an excuse for disobedience than the nation of Israel who walked with Moses and God himself traveling a pillar of cloud and a pillar by fire. We have less of an excuse because if you're saved, you've got the Spirit of God living inside of you. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was beside the people and he was among the people, but after Pentecost, he is now in the people of God. That's the reality of our salvation. And you say, well, if if God's inside of me, why isn't there more power in my life to make changes? Well, here's the deal. You're not a robot. God did give you the ability to make choices. And the Bible says that we can quench the Holy Spirit, which means when He convicts us to make changes and we don't make them we quench him we stop him from having the power that we can have in our life and then it says after that that it grieves the holy spirit that he wants to make changes in our life but we've got to do the job of repentance we've got to do the job of stop putting ourselves in positions of failure things that we're tempted of in sin instead of trying to just overcome we need to just get away from And until we do, we're not going to know the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a voice that we hear that gets quieter and quieter and quieter when we don't obey. That's why the Holy Spirit was sent to inspire the Scriptures, to inspire the speakers, to regenerate the listeners and sanctify believers. So before salvation came to your soul, prophets sacrificed for it, Christ suffered for it, preachers spoke for it, the Holy Spirit was sent for it. Now here's the fifth and final one, and people love talking about this topic because it's so mysterious. Angels searched for it. Listen to the last part of verse 12. It just says, things into which angels long to look. What do you think about angels? You know, the the media knows that we love thinking about angels because it's such a a, a divine mystery. How many movies and TV shows touched by an angel? Angels in the outfield. I mean, there's just so many portraits and paintings of angels sitting on clouds, playing harps, eating marshmallows. Some of this is from philosophy. Some of this is from Hollywood. And the truth about angels in the scriptures, you know, there's some things that he's revealed, but there's a great mystery about angels, we don't know everything there is to know about angels. Here's what we do know. Angels are not human, and human are not angels. You know, it's never the right time to say it at a funeral. But oftentimes now when we hear funerals, we hear, well, you know, Billy Bob got his angel wings today. Fly high, big boy, because you are now an angel in the, in the choir of the Lord. Well, the Scriptures don't teach that. You don't become an angel after you die. And here's, here's good news. As much as the angels are to be, uh, we're to be grateful and appreciative of all the angels do for us, we are not to worship them, all right? Because we are made in the image of God, and there is a salvation that he offers to us that they don't understand. So let me talk about angels for a second, because guess what? The Bible says angels are real, and I believe in angels, all right? I also believe that fallen angels are called demons, and I believe Satan is real. There's a spiritual realm in, the world, in this room right now. I can see it right now. As I'm scanning the room, I see people who are on fire and some of you are falling asleep. And some of you are falling asleep because you don't have the Holy Spirit. Some of you are falling asleep because you didn't have a good night's rest. But then some of you are falling asleep because Satan is working right now to clog your mind, to, to, to cloud your judgment, to make you think about anything but Jesus. But let me talk about angels, the heavenly beings that dwell the kingdom of God. All right, the Bible says a few things about them. Angels... Work on our behalf to help guide us in our salvation. Psalm 91.11 says, For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. So that right there is is a verse that says, you know what? There are such things as guardian angels. Hebrews 13.2 says this. This ought to keep you sober. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. You know what that means? In this room right now, there could be an angel in human form who is here to help guide you, and you don't even know it. And you ought to think about that. I think about that a lot when there are people walking down the street in Candler County who need a ride, and I'm thinking, eh, you know? I mean, we have to use wisdom. But trust me, I believe when we die, God's going to show us how many angels, whether visible or invisible, He placed in our life to help us and to guide us. We don't know. Angels are very mysterious. But here's what we do know. Not only do they guide us, they celebrate. All right, in Luke 15, 10, it says, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. That, you know, when, when uh, Brother Randy, Miss Linda went under the water here this morning and the angels in heaven rejoiced because when they're with God, they love what God loves and they hate what God hates. Because they're holy. Because they're in his presence. And if they're not holy, they'll be cast out. And that's what happened to Satan who was once an angel. And that's happened to every demon who now follows Satan instead of God. And here's the last thing. Angels marvel at our salvation. They help us in it. They celebrate it. But they still don't understand it. This passage says that they look at the grace They look at people who once hated God and now love Him. They look at drug addicts who used to be so addicted and and through the power of the blood of Jesus Christ, they're now walking in freedom. They see all these changes that God is doing in the lives of human beings and all they can do is look into it and say, wow, I don't understand this. So we need to appreciate angels, but never are we to worship them or want to be like them because He offers us a salvation that the Bible reveals is not offered to them. I don't know why. Maybe God will explain all of that in the kingdom. But here's what I do know. We have a grace they can only look at, but we can fully experience. That's the salvation that comes to your doorstep here today. So how do I land the plane on this? In one sentence, I'd say this. Salvation reached your soul today through God's servants, but it will only transform your soul through faith in God's Son. All right, so I want to go back to that Amazon package. All the people that made it possible for you to have what you want in less than 48 hours right at your front door, if you're a Prime member. That's not an advertisement for Amazon, I promise you. (laughs) This sermon brought to you in part by Amazon. Um, As we think about all the people that make it possible for us to have whatever we want at the click of a button, I want you to sit here today and think about the value of your salvation I want you to think about the fact that prophets sacrificed for it. Christ suffered for it. Preachers spoke for it. The Holy Spirit was sent for it. And angels continue to search for it. And you have it today offered to you. And it's an offer that will eventually expire. It is a free offer of grace that is extended to all while you still have breath in your lungs or before Jesus Christ comes again in the flesh. And guess what? You do not know when either one of those things are going to take place, either your last breath or the second coming of Jesus. It could happen before you get to Bevericks or Max. But how are you responding? How are you responding to this? All right, so let me talk about those in the room that if you had to really check your heart, you would say that Jesus Christ is not your Lord and Savior. You know what that is? That means you've got an Amazon package that's been sitting on your front porch and it needs to be opened. And how do you open it? There's only one way. We are saved by grace through faith and that faith is repenting of our sin and putting our trust in the Lordship of Jesus Christ here's what it means. It's not cheap, all right? It's offered freely, but the cost to us is we are no longer the boss of our own life. We are no longer the king on the throne of our own hearts. If you're a Christian, it means Jesus is now your Lord. He is now the boss man. You hand the keys over to him, and you say, we're going to do things around here your way, and you're not going to be perfect, which is why he sent his Holy Spirit, and why grace is continued forgiveness, not just one time for salvation, but a lifetime of sanctification. That's why Dave led us this morning in a confession and why we do it every Sunday. So I want you to think about your salvation today, all that God did to make it possible for you to be saved right where you are right now. And if you're not a Christian, do not leave here this morning. During the invitation, whether you come forward, I'll be happy to talk with you and pray with you, or even in your pew, if you just want to silently call out to God and say, I know my life doesn't belong to Jesus. I want today to be the day of salvation. Would you forgive me and be my Lord and Savior? And he will save you because he is good. But for those of you who are, again, that package, it may have been sitting on your porch and you opened it, but now it's sitting on your kitchen counter. And it's collecting dust. Do you have joy in your salvation? Again, David says in Psalm 51, after he goes through a season of persecution for his sin, he says, God, let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Maybe right now, whatever problems you're going through and every single one of us faces them, it is so heavy It's so overwhelming that you can't think of anything but that. Can I encourage you today to clear out some time to just meditate on the joy of your salvation? No matter how bad it gets, the best is yet to come. All right? I said this before. Everything for a Christian works out in the end. If it hasn't worked out, it's because it's not the end yet. Hang in there. Keep going. Fight the good fight. Be like Paul who poured himself out as a drink offering, and he knew, he said in Philippians, he who began a good work in you will complete it to the day of Christ Jesus. He's not done with you yet. If he started a work in you, he's gonna finish it. Be faithful. Stay current with confession. Don't let sins pile up in your heart. Stay close to him. And and have a joy in knowing all that God did before salvation reached your soul. Let's pray. Father, we can't even scratch the surface on everything you've done to prepare us for this exact moment. All the parents and teachers and preachers who've planted gospel seeds, the prophets who came before us and who you inspired to write the entire Old Testament, Jesus Christ who suffered for our sins, the Holy Spirit who came to open our eyes to see all that Christ did, and the angels who long to look into the salvation that you offer freely to us by your grace. Father, I pray for the souls of everyone in this room and the families they represent. If there's anybody in this room that does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I pray that your spirit would do his work to remove hearts of stone, replace it with a heart of flesh, that they would see the suffering of Christ and remember the preaching and remember the prophets and appreciate what angels cannot have but what they can, that they would repent and place their faith in Jesus. And if anybody in this room knows Jesus but is really struggling to have joy in their salvation, would you sweeten their spirits by your Holy Spirit? Remind them of the joy that we can have in what comes before us, the joy of being a part of a great church family and doing life together instead of carrying the burdens by ourselves. Be with us now as we enter this invitation, Father, and have your way with us according to the power of your Spirit. In your Son's name we pray, amen.